Germany's beleaguered defense minister has temporarily dropped his PhD Should I like sniff it first? Do not sniff it. Do first. not sniff Do it. Not under any circumstances. Ooh, it right. smells like sparkle. I sipped a little bit. You guys, my heart is racing. My heart is absolutely okay. pounding out of my ready? chest. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Most. Three, <laughs> two, one. Oh, that is vile. Oh that tastes like asparagus. It does taste like asparagus. For everyone listening, <laughs> that is. Asparagus flavored schnapps. Spago guys. guys. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Thirty-eight uh, percent alcohol of flavored <laughs> as white asparagus. Oh Not god. a good taste, but that's how we're starting today's episode. To get in the in the seconds to like stop dying, and then I'll get in the spago. Spirit? <laughs> the Spago guys. The guys in the Spago guys. So we're talking about that favorite German food, a white asparagus. Uh, we'll link to a picture. In case in case you're like haven't been in Germany or don't know about it, um, you really have to look at it because it's a, it has a very distinctive appearance. Um, how would you guys describe its appearance? Well, I think the word phallic gets thrown around quite yeah. a lot. It's definitely... Somehow it's more... The white asparagus is somehow more phallic than the green asparagus. Uh, Because it's, like, thicker. The green asparagus is just, like... uh, I mean... It's probably maybe that, too. (laughs) But it's also maybe, like, the color, right? Oh, right. How many green people have you hooked up with? Oh, no, that's that's true. Right, fair. Most penises are not green. Okay. It's also yellowish. It, it, It looks sickly like it doesn't look like something you should necessarily eat to me seeing the piles of it at the spargel stand doesn't necessarily entice you know it, it, it's it's not intuitively appetizing it's yeah not like a nice yeah shiny apple that draws your eye like it looks vile <laughs> it's really expensive yeah it's kind of good and so to be clear like it actually is the same vegetable as normal green asparagus, like you'd have more commonly in, in most other countries. Um, the difference is they grow it under these piles of dirt, so it doesn't get exposed to the sunlight and never gets chlorophyll, so it never turns green. Which so there's actually like a reason that it, that it looks kind of sickly because it's like not it's literally getting like a sickly the, vegetable. Yeah, it's like striving to get to the sun, and they're like denying it because it's covered in a pile of dirt. And, and so that and- creates a number of like important things because it's really hard to get it out from under the dirt, which is what the second half of this episode is about. The first half we're going to talk about a bit of the culture and history and our personal reactions to this particular vegetable. And the second half is this like massive craze of this vegetable that goes for like almost 20, about 20 euros a kilogram, um, especially early in the season, which is like, what is that, like $11 a pound or so? Like a very, very expensive for a vegetable. And everyone, there's this huge craze. All the menus have it. It's on all these seasonal things. They put it on 
pizza. They had like a McDonald's burger last year. They make soup out of it. Like every German restaurant would be like, would be like, it's Spargelzeit. Like it's asparagus time. And everyone goes absolutely nuts, spend, spends a ton of money on this um, because it's only possible to have it during this sort of late spring, early summer season. And so we're going to talk about the culture now, but also having that massive harvest at this very concentrated time of year requires a lot of temporary labor. And that comes uh, predominantly from low wage Eastern European countries who are subject to very poor labor standards. So we're talking to uh, Ben Lig. Uh, who works in labor organizing for the agricultural sector. And he actually, he and I will discuss some of the actual specifics of the, the legal regime and the labor conditions and what's going on with that at the second half. And then even after that, you're going to get our live reaction to this massive Spargel feast that we just ate, <laughs> which people were generally unimpressed by. Well, okay. well don't Adam, spoil it. Adam don't said, spoil no, it. You're going to get the live reaction at the end, so definitely stay and listen to that. But just like in a in an like a, a an an out of ten reaction, how was the how was the white asparagus? Because Isaac, it was your first time. Michelle, it was one of your first times. Yeah. <laughs> I would give it like a six sparkle out of ten sparkle. I'm going to give it a straight up two. Oh. Like, I forced myself to eat more of it than I maybe would have if we weren't doing this whole big episode and having a whole And to be clear, and she didn't even the, finish the, her spargle. I ate maybe like one and a half. <laughs> I think it's, it's really not my thing. I think I think the whole keeping it underground, I think there's something very sinister about it. Um, I think that... <laughs> don't no, laugh at me. I'm really not... <laughs> I'm not... I'm not on board. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I do not approve of all of it, of the whole hype of... Uh... I say, in my mind, it's overrated and overpriced, but I do I do think it's good. Like, it's a good food. Um, and to be clear, it's my first this time having Ted's a white... craziest take to me. <laughs> like, I've never... <laughs> The hype around it is insane to me, but like, it's not bad. It's one of the better German foods. Wow. We also had it with a side of schnitzel, which is really good. Like, I much preferred the schnitzel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a, and a real, well, okay. just to show you that we, um, well, no, I'm not going to say which type of schnitzel it was, because get, I don't get, want people get, getting mad at us. Get, gotta listen to the full episode to get the reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So listen to that at the end, but that's our general take about, about our personal experience of eating a schnitzel. So before that, the and what was spargel. yeah yeah that, I mean spargel not schnitzel it's, just, it's not about schnitzel it's not about schnitzel I just said that because it's the part in my brain that's better um, but before this experience of your spargel guys and your spargel meal what was your like general like how does spargel zeit make you feel how does spargel make me feel spargel zeit like like the, 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 like everyone gets into it the spargel hutte like and again if you've not lived in Germany. Like there's little like huts and stands that open up everywhere, and everyone's selling it. And every supermarket is like special action, blah blah blah, blah Spargel. Like everyone goes nuts. The Germans love their huts. They go like, nuts. And so ninety percent of I'm the not... market share is 
is white asparagus. In yeah, this country, yeah. Which like, like I said, you know, most other countries, green asparagus, nice. You gotta I... fry them up. You grill them. You do anything. It's like you think that as normal asparagus. They're only ten percent of spargo in this country. Which leads me to a question: What other countries do white asparagus? The it, Polish Poland? definitely do. Okay. I would guess maybe the Czechs do as well. I've seen them in Poland. I could see it as like some sort of French. Like they may be like. Do they? I don't know. I think it's a pretty German. Thing, I feel like the but... French have better like culinary taste than that. Yeah. Maybe in like it's all like it. it the extent to which everyone goes nuts, I think, does reflect a little bit of a lack of culinary prowess in this country, that they get so excited about this one thing. Well, I think... Because it... all you do is boil it and cover it in butter. Like, there's nothing to it. Or hollandaise sauce. How, how, how does it make me feel? It makes me feel... <laughs> they just get a look in their eyes, like, when they talk about it. That is very <laughs> disturbing to me. I realize I'm like positioning myself on the very negative side, and, and maybe I'm just doing that for the sake of. No, that's good. Right, but um, it I I think it represents something about German culture in general, which is like the regionalism and the bio obsession, and this all of these factors kind of come together for this like tornado <laughs> peak of Spago side of like everything that they get so fanatic about it's just like zugespitz it's just like the the ultimate thing yeah. that they love and it's like i is it like here's here's a story that i heard i don't know take it with far more grains of salt than <laughs> we're on that, yeah. <laughs> that meal we just had but um <laughs> i i heard this story from my friends that there was a farmer in their region who dug up his entire asparagus field, laid some sort of electronic heating system beneath the field, then, you know, put the dirt back. And put the... <laughs> because heating the soil, heating the white asparagus, then allows for it to be harvested days, maybe a week earlier netting you so much more money from the first anta, like from the first harvest, because in the first weeks, it this stuff literally goes... I, I've seen it for like 25 euros a kilo. Yeah, if you can like, get in the like the market yeah. first, if like if you could if you could have asparagus on the market in March, you could be like the richest person. So then you're digging up your field and like creating a heated... It just... Like under the earth. It probably pays off. Uh, it, it might. It just <laughs> might. <laughs> yeah, the, the the special pot for it ekes me out. Like I. What is a special pot? Because they're so long. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't fit in like an ordinary <laughs> like pasta. Oh. You know, if you're just yeah. having like a uh, like a spaghetti <laughs> so you pot, need like an implement, like a... you need you need like a tall. <laughs> Slender, slender <laughs> top for your spagel top, and then and then having the specific colander that fits in that, mm-hmm. and then in some of them I've seen them they're like painted on with spargel. Right, and we just watched a video where they had some like special spargel peelers where you could like shoot the spargel through the peeler, and it... yeah, they have a machine I think where you yeah. can do it because you have to. This is also different than the green asparagus. You have to peel the white asparagus because it's really woody on the outside, and so it's super. 
not only is the picking of them labor intensive, but the peeling is also very labor intensive. So the whole thing, that's why like you get like six like stalks of these in a restaurant and it's like 20 euros or something. Like it's insane. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like by like every single metric, the white asparagus is far more just ridiculous and awful. They call it, they call it uh, yeah, white gold. Like they love it. Apparently it's popular also in the uh, Western Himalayan regions. I was just reading here. So in like Nepal and Northwestern India. They like the white asparagus. Huh. <laughs> I feel like they wonder, probably know how to make it taste better. Definitely. Just definitely. A... <laughs> I want to have their version of this. That's yeah. It's going to be better. Right. I mean, should we talk a bit about how the hype manifests? Well, a couple notes on the history here, just um, very briefly. Oh, let's, so yep. I'm reading now from a just a piece in the culture trip, which we can link to. Um, they say, the Romans adored asparagus, going so far as to have runners take baskets of it high into the Alps so that it could be frozen for use later in the year. Wow. Okay. Wow. So Germans, not that weird. <laughs> it arrived in Germany via the monastery sometimes in the 1540s. Um, white asparagus, which was called the royal vegetable, white gold, or edible ivory. It's the same plant as green asparagus. The only difference is that the green one grows in the traditional way, exposed to light, while the white one matures underground. No photosynthesis means no green color. Many people prefer the white variety because because again, it is literally thought going to be... against like what life is about. Like like <laughs> no, I think it <laughs> laughing in the face of <laughs> it, it represents man's conquest over nature. It does not because it tastes like shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's thought to be more tender and less bitter. The stalks are generally thicker and longer than the green version, which makes the skin tough and unpalatable. Thankfully, <laughs> there's a machine to do the peeling right at the grocery store or market. And then they show a picture of it split open with caviar. Yeah. And so you can do asparagus tastings, like touring different asparagus areas to like get different flavor. Like you do a wine tasting. Um, and then that gets... We'll get into this later, but they mention this here of... An asparagus queen or Spagelkönigin, where they have a little local local royalty. Um, Michelle, I know you you pulled up a few of these. Should we talk Spagelkönigin? Königinnen. Königinnen. <laughs> they uh, they sure exist. <laughs> So while you pull this up, I'll just finish this last paragraph of yeah, this sorry. about the Spagelkönigin. It says, the position is serious business. As the girl, in exchange for her eight weeks of the royal life, is expected <laughs> to spend every free okay. minute working in the service of asparagus evangelism. So it's like, probably not basically you get to wear a sash steal. and get your picture taken with a basket of asparagus, and then you just have to shill for big Spagel. So, so I was trying to find out um, what qualifies you to be... Come, Spargle Princess, Asparagus, sorry, Asparagus Queen. Um, just because, you know, where I lived for a little bit when I was little, they had a Svechkin Königin, yeah. um, you know, of the same ilk. It's the same idea. Is, that, it, is, that it, you, is it sort of equivalent, like, is it like a prom queen or something? Is it like have a similar um, role? Or like, no, because it, it's... Or be it, like the girl in the parades, like the 4th of July parade or something like that, right? But, it, but it's different because it's specifically tied to like a regional product. Yeah. And it's meant to, yeah, like draw, attract attention to this like either vegetable or in this... The Svechkin couldn't end, 
anyways, the, the plum queen um, was the girl in her final abitur year who got the best grades. And then you got to, like, be queen. Which is so... Was it, like, sought after? Did it have, like, did people want to be that? I don't remember. Or was it, like, I, I mean, I remember my, like, neighbor was it. When I, I was, like, six. And my neighbor okay. was Svechkenkundigan. And she had all the little kindergartners dressed up as plums, like, parading behind her. Oh, my God. <laughs> and she's on this, like, plum float. It just... It, it <laughs> That's awesome. Um... Plums great. Love plums. Yeah. I prefer them over the... Yeah. The Svechkin are kind of small, though. Like, you have to have those in, like, a cake, right? Like, they're not very satisfying to eat. I eat them. Okay. You put them in, like, (laughs) yogurt. But you have to, like, cut them up. Like, you wouldn't just gnaw on it like an apple. No, they're small. You can can just, like, split it with your hands and... Oh, okay. Uh, The point being that this celebrating the... And 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 it's it's like this, like spiritual like holy thing that they're in that it corresponds to the rhythms of the year like the seasons mm-hmm. and like here we are in this time and it's so beautiful to have our dick vegetable <laughs> like, and like dousing it in butter it just sorry it just shouldn't exist like it <laughs> like really i'm i mean i'm not opposed to these like like Celebrations, these like seasonal celebrations. Oh, I kind of oh, like this that. Is, like, sorry, I think that's kind of cute. Okay, no, okay, okay. I love a fest like anyone else. <laughs> okay, I love, a, I love a celebration. I love to celebrate. What I don't understand <laughs> is these women who are asparagus queens. Like, what? But, but so, where do you draw the line with the fest? You know, like, <sighs> you know, first they came for the Spargel Fest, and then, like, what's going to happen to the the Sechkin Fest? Sechkin fest. There was no vegetables left to speak for it. Like, it's... It's just... <laughs> Why do they not have, like, a strawberry... They're going to come fest. to the Spargle Fest last, to be clear. Right? Oh, they're clinging to their Spargle. It's it's a weird mix of this, like, kind of left... Like, the, like, uh, the green and right combination. Because in one sense, it's, like, very, like, pro, like, uh, organic, like, land. Um, this very, like... What would yeah, code is like a kind of like ecological, maybe like left-ish kind of thing. And on the other, it's a very like conservative, like this is our land and this is our tradition and our season. And it like it goes back to the sort of like Schwarzgrün thing we've talked a lot about on the pod of this like weird linkage. I think you see more in Europe than North America of like a deep like conservative ecological and like agricultural vibe and, and like this combination that that it's tough to like parse it out politically well, well well they also they literally describe it as like the noble vegetable as it having like yeah. a they say like edelgemüse like it it's it's precious you yeah. said the white gold thing earlier but they 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 always use this descriptor of like edel like yeah. it's it's like pure like, yeah well and there's something also I, I don't want to like get too about it conspiratorial, being white. but about it being protected <laughs> from the sun and pure, and never allowed to like be tainted with color, and maintains its whiteness. Like, there's something going on there for sure. Yeah. No, I, I German agree. studies uh, majors, listen up. <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're if you're writing your masters in German I culture, mean, surely there has the, been the like whiteness. a few like dissertations or theses I about. Can I just read you guys this thing in in 
about the Chicago. Sorry, I keep losing my my <laughs> train of thought. And um, but I wanted my point earlier was about okay. I know what makes the plum queen qualify to be that, but what makes a Chicago Königin? What makes an asparagus queen? You know what's. I, for one, am wondering. Yeah, and there's no real answer because what they say is like, just in German, and then I'll try and German. Sie sind die sympathischen Damen in edlen Gewändern, die unseren Beelitzer Spargel, die Stadt Beelitz und die ganze Spargelregion repräsentieren. Which is just saying that they're like, they're so nice. <laughs> like, they're such nice girls. Sorry, I'm doing, like, Trump voice. Um. <laughs> Bye-bye, sweetie. <laughs> oh, God. So, so this this town, which is probably maybe the most famous, is Baylitz, which is only, like, an hour-ish outside of Berlin. And so, like, it's really, we're almost in the heart of, of Chicago country here. I think the area is also a big growing region. They said in a video we watched that it takes up the largest landmass of any vegetable in Germany. It's devoted to Spargel. They are the likable ladies in elegant robes who represent our Baylitz asparagus. <laughs> that doesn't say anything so about no who a- these girls are. Or women, rather. They're really... They're not like high school. They're not... They're young women. Yeah. But, well, but... Um, look at her. She's... That one, this year, yeah. But well, some of the historical... Historically. Right. And we should say that, like, uh, Herr Jakob is one of... The biggest Spargel farmers in Baylitz, where our Spargel guy's schnapps comes from. And I believe it's his daughter who's the Spargel queen this year. Yeah, so it this seems year, like Spargel queen. Going on here. It doesn't seem like an object. It's not a meritocratic type of Königin like you're, like you're saying. No, this year's Spargel queen is Joelina Jacobs, who is the daughter of Jürgen Jacobs, who's the chairman of the Baylitz Asparagus Association. So, and presumably the owner of Jacobs, Jacobs of the yeah, Spargel. I think so, yeah. So Seems like he's running quite the operation. Jürgen. Good for him. Back to, actually, back to maybe something you've been wondering about is our intro. We hear Christian Lindner, if you pick up the voice, a couple times going on about Spargel. The context of that is he's getting really mad about an article that was written in Der Spiegel um, that said the translates to the Spargel cult must end. And so he when he says the Spargel cult must end, he's saying that like uh, like he's like quoting something he disagrees with and he's saying like, that. What, like a ridiculous. Like a living, what an yeah, insane yeah. thing to say. And then he goes... What does he say? Spargel Weltmeister ist China. China. And the Debauen sexist Mal. Like, they, 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 like that they're. That's really good. Yeah. yeah you guys <laughs> they're did doing it. way, wow. like, they're, they're building 60 times as much Spargel as we are. So, like, Germany needs, like, we cannot allow a Spargel gap, is what he's doing. And, um, and you know, he's right very he passionate. Is. So, Isaac, do you have this, uh, this article in Spiegel that Christian Lindner then got mad about? Do you I have do. that pulled up? Okay. Yeah. So the article Can we hear is, from that? Yes. So the article is called Der Spargel could muss enden by Margarete Stokowski. Um, and I'm just reading from like the Google translated version of this because my German is not good enough. Yes. So she writes, the asparagus cult is an indis- indispensable para-religious practice in Germany. See? My- yeah. <laughs> Minorities and historical events are always mentioned when discussing establishing new holidays, but probably no campaign would garner more support than one that advocates the homage to white asparagus. 
Of course, asparagus tastes very good. Okay, okay, okay. Well, here's where we diverge potentially <laughs> from Strong Margarita. Of course. Natürlich. Natürlich. That is what it says. Natürlich schmeckt Spargel sehr gut. Um, asparagus is delicious and healthy. It's detoxifying, but it's also toxic. No, you have to read the full sentence. It's, it's draining and detoxifying by which... But what does that mean? I don't even I don't understand. Because you piss it that. out. <laughs> is, that, is that what she means? Okay. I don't know. Show me the German. I just skipped over that because it didn't make sense. So and vest that it literally means that it like it like removes you of water like you you pee more. It's a we have to cut in that video uh, of the Spargel reactions of various people where like the old German man was like it makes your pee pee smell funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's also toxic. She writes, hinting at what we're getting into in the second half of this episode. The sixth season, known as the asparagus season, is a time when asparagus is not only revered and eaten, but simply ubiquitous. Every pizzeria, no matter how orthodox it may be and have its own dungeon for people who ask for pineapples, puts out a sign announcing that asparagus pizza is now also available here. Of course, because asparagus is the most privileged vegetable in Germany. You can go anywhere and everywhere. There are asparagus from the grill, asparagus from the oven, and from the wok. Asparagus on noodles, in risotto, in salads. Asparagus just pure. Asparagus leftovers of soup. Asparagus ice cream. And yet she did not mention Spargel, guys. So which I'm going to have another sip. Oof, Ted. Referring a bit now to the labor conditions required, she writes, anyone who buys white asparagus pays often without knowing it not only for the taste but also for the color. One of the reasons why the cultiva cultivation of white asparagus is so laborious is that the soil around the asparagus is constantly piled up and the harvest has to be done extremely punctually and outrageously early in the day. Germans love that, but only so much that they prefer not to do this work themselves, but traditionally like to let Poles and Romanians do it. Since they no longer come in large numbers, Germany is running out of harvest workers. Which is why, as we discuss on the second half of the episode with the interview that the German agricultural lobby is trying harder and harder to get more and more uh, agreements for countries farther and farther east with even lower wages to actually come because, you know, once uh, your country gets rich enough and develops a bit like Poland has, people don't want to do this shitty work anymore. Um, and so you need a new pool of labor to do it. Right. And I mean, and, and last year during... Uh when sort of the COVID pandemic was at its height, there was a real sort of concern over the lack of workers, right? Harvesting the asparagus. Yeah, Deutsche Welle had a, a piece, Asparagus Craze in Germany During the Coronavirus Crisis. As spring blooms in Germany, locals excitedly count the days until they can eat their favorite vegetable, I, asparagus. I, I, <laughs> Turns out not even a pandemic can dampen desire for the white stocks as Deutsche Welle's meet the Germans. Learned, and this is from 2020, uh, basically exactly two years ago. And they say it in this really triumphant way of like, nothing could stop, keep the Germans down and want to eat their delicious asparagus. Everyone's at home with more time to cook. And then so they like very happily say, we, we figured it out. We got the workers here anyway. I think Build, um, translated their, their headline two years ago was like, the asparagus harvest is at stake, uh, stressing about whether they would actually be able to get it. And so the German government eventually decides to allow 40,000 seasonal workers to enter the country in May and June, despite travel restrictions. So ordinary people couldn't travel to see their families. But the government made an agreement mm. to get 
seasonal workers allowed to come and they stayed in like these weird like sort of covid bubble situations in order to pick the asparagus so people could get it and they interview only the farmers who are like i'm so fortunate that 15 seasonal workers were able to come um i have enough people to harvest and they don't actually interview the workers to do this and like like i said we'll get into all this on the interview but it just shows how like the the german media around this like views germans ability to eat this like we said kind of mediocre food they view their ability to eat it as like trumping the actual like labor rights and standards of the people who are picking it and then of course in these like sort of bubbles of of these workers from eastern europe that were here picking the asparagus there were like uh, far more COVID cases and then also presumably far more deaths as well due to COVID. Like there's yeah. this one article just randomly that, that came up when I searched about this saying that of around 1,000 employees at this Niedersachsen Spargel farm uh, in May 2021, more than 100 tested positive for COVID just in some sort of like random testing. So that's like 10% of the, the workers, which I mean now or in the past few months considering the numbers in Germany, maybe that doesn't seem... <laughs> Like a lot, but, but, the time but when that's no one pre-vax. Was that's yeah, literally exactly. pre-vax. Yeah. Like really, it wasn't, really yeah. 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 I, it's not that great. And it's all for something, like we said, that isn't that good. They say two billion stocks of it are eaten every year, which is insane. In, just in Germany. Just in Germany. Yeah. That's about 25 per person, which is, <laughs> that maybe doesn't sound like a lot, but. But, but that's a lot. lot. It's also a lot of money. I mean, I only, like, we just ate, what, like, six? And I don't think I'm going to eat any more. I'm probably good for the rest of my yeah. life. <laughs> I'm good for the rest of my life. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, with that, should we should we cut to the interview? with? Do we have any more thoughts? Benjamin? Oh, back to the hot... <laughs> just, just free associating. Um, <laughs> we, we spoke briefly about German hot culture well, that the, the Germans fucking love their huts. They love their huts and, <laughs> and I myself also love the strawberry huts. Yeah. I find those frankly Charming. adorable. There's <laughs> one, one outside of the most my local S Bahn station. Oh. Yeah, it's great. I pass one every day on my way to work and I'm like mm. Um but something that I do get frustrated about is that asparagus huts are not asparagus shaped. Right. Like they, most they of the strawberry ones. literally are. want a giant penis on the street. It would be like it would, <laughs> it like, would be, the, be imagine funny. like imagine like the uh, Oscar Mayer like thing, but like with the like it was. Like, They're already leaning into it. Lean, lean all the way. Give me an asparagus shaped asparagus hat. Where's the commitment? So this is yeah. They, There's a lot more to get into. They have this, an asparagus actually. town. Like, they have an asparagus museum. Like Spargles blah, like, blah 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 blah. Spargles like next year. We're gonna find. Um, we're gonna find whatever person has like written their master's thesis about like toxic masculinity and Spargle and get them on the pod because there's gonna be a couple of people like that and I think it'd be funny. Number two, we're gonna and do informative. We're gonna do an <laughs> Ausflug to Baylitz. To the Spargel Fest and the Spargel Museum and report on this. So this is like Spargel 101, but it's like it's impossible to overstate how insane people get about this. So this is not the last Spargel. I want to interview a Spargel Kunigan. I think that could. Be I want to interview Christian Lindner about his Spargel promotion <laughs> strategies for Germany. Um, okay, but okay, again, going back to the Spargel Kunigan, I know we're, we're wrapping Bailiff. up here, but um, we need to link to a photo of them because they look so funny. <laughs> 
But apparently, usually there is uh, like an application process and voting to choose the spark. Yeah, yeah, but, but like the Wirtschaft people vote. Like the business is whipping votes. I know, but no, but this year though, because of COVID, and this is where like it's going too far. Like COVID is being used as an excuse for too much because they said they couldn't have an open application process for the Spargo again because of COVID. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, so yeah, yeah. they just had to appoint the Democracy daughter dies of in darkness. The yeah. Spoggle fries. <laughs> How long were you holding on to that one? Like one second. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought you know. Off the dome. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a good place, though, I think. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> All right, on to the interview with Ben, where... Um, Things get a bit. I wouldn't say it's more lighthearted because uh, Michelle, you were a pretty big downer on this one, but um, it's a little more serious. And then make sure you listen all the way till the end of the interview because we've got uh, our live reactions of the Spragel feast, and you can see you can you can hear Michelle's uncut opinions in case you didn't already get the idea. Um, yeah, with that, I'm going to finish the rest of Michelle's. Spagelgeist and uh, cut to Ben. So, and also thanks so much to Ben for coming on um, and adding some actual uh, facts and seriousness to this otherwise <laughs> quite goofy segment. Thanks, Ben. All right, on to the interview. And welcome back to Spasbremse, everybody. I'm joined here with a, a great guest to talk about a little bit more about the labor conditions in. Um, agricultural generally, but also specifically looking at Spagel as we're talking about on this episode. Um, so I'm kindly joined by Benjamin Loig, who is the branch coordinator for agriculture. Um, he's at the Initiative for Fair Work in Agriculture and also the European Association for Migrant Workers Questions and Fair Mobility. Um, we'll, uh, we can link to some of those organizations. Those are the, the English translation, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, working with a, a number of really important initiatives here in Germany, um, to, to try to address some of these questions about actual fair labor standards in the agricultural sector. And before we get into some of the details about, um, you know, agriculture and seasonal labor, um, generally, and then, you know, the, the asparagus industry more specifically, could you tell us just a little bit about the organizations you work for and the type of work that you do? Sure. Um, Ted, thanks for inviting me. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. What we do, what our initiative does is um, basically do counseling services, advising um, migrant workers in Germany. Um, there are different, as you mentioned, different um, counseling organizations like Fair Mobility and like EMU. Um, we are linked to the trade unions in Germany. So we were set up by the trade unions, but um, uh, the fact that particularly from Eastern Europe, we have in the in those sectors with very tough, very harsh working conditions with different types, various types of exploitation, um, the unions at some point realized, okay, um, our classical approach alone doesn't work. Uh, we need people who can advise people in their language. So that's what we are doing. And for agriculture, particularly for the issues of seasonal work, we have set up um, an initiative to do field actions, field visits, in order to, first of all, get in touch to um, seasonal workers uh, in rural areas. That's great. And so, I mean, yeah, this is uh, to give to give a scale of what we're talking about here, right? This is um, 
you know, according to the Federal Ministry of Agriculture, about 275,000 people uh, come to Germany every year for this type of work, um, often from EU countries like like Poland or Romania. Uh, there's also been some agreements with Eastern European countries, um, like countries farther east, like Georgia or Moldova. Right. And there's also a number of uh, Ukrainian workers that come over as well, which we'll get into in terms of the, the context of the war. And so this is this is quite a few people that we're talking about here. And could you just give a kind of overview of, of what it actually... Um, you know why there is this need for the seasonal seasonal labor um, in some of these seasonal fruits and vegetables. You know, sort of asparagus, particularly being kind of the most famous, uh, very very German uh, product. But um, you know, why why is there this need for the seasonal labor? Um, how did this kind of evolve? And then, what are the conditions like for people actually doing this type of work? Well, I think it's really a, a global phenomenon that in um, industrialized agriculture. Particularly now, but it's not that such a new phenomenon that in industrial countries, um, you need workers who do this labor very cheaply and they must be very flexible because the seasons, the harvest seasons are depending on the weather conditions. Um, they can be very short depending on the crops. Um, and thus we have often these like um, change of recruitment of mobile or migrant workers coming from outside doing this tough work. Um, and agri in agriculture in Germany, there's really a long history of actually people from Poland doing seasonal work in agriculture in Germany, reaching back, I mean, to, to the times of the first wave of industrialization even. And over the last um, decades and years in Germany, the sector has been growing. One factor is, of course, that, yeah, you can say that those producers who produce not just asparagus, but um, vegetables and fruits are quite under price pressure in the market. They get lower subsidies than producers of other crops in Germany, and they need uh, cheap solutions to do the work for them. And that's a, uh, an, an approach which started really with workers from Poland has developed. And by now, in the last years, it's clearly people from Romania who are doing most of this work uh, in Germany. Right. I mean, you see the sort of economic logic, right, where a, a wealthier country imports cheaper labor and then the, the cheaper labor country ends up actually getting richer itself. And so in the European context, it's sort of about moving farther and farther east to, to like lower and lower sources of labor, right? I mean, in, in North America, you have a similar logic extending farther and farther south is, is basically the the dynamic here. And so, yeah, you, you talk about um, Romania. Is, 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 that the, is that the largest sender of of short-term labor in these industries now, or do you? Yes, about yeah. two-thirds of the of the seasonal workers currently are coming from Romania. But um, the chain, as you say, I think um, what what employers really try is to extend extend the chain further. So, getting in people from third countries outside the EU further, like Ukraine, is a, is an issue or demand that they have for a long time. That they demand for a long time. I think it's about two things. It's not just about um, as they would argue, we need the workers on the field to do this work, but they really need a sort of reserve army in order to make sure that they get this work cheap and that if some workers don't like the conditions and refuse to come the next year, that they make sure they have approach uh, to other workers. That's, for example, something that we saw now with the corona realities in the last two years where there were cases of, of 
absolutely unacceptable conditions of housing for workers in Romania. And um, the information, the pictures go, go, went viral in Romania itself. Um, and so last year, for example, employers, it seems, had more problems to get uh, the, the number of people they need from Romania. So there's always the demand to further extend the chain of recruitment further, geographically further outwards. Right, because not only does that supply an extra source of labor, it's also a kind of pressure on the the people exactly. a little bit up the chain, right? It's like, well, if you won't do this work, there's someone else that'll do it for even less. So, you know, like take, exactly. take, exactly. what, take what you can, yeah. Exactly. And it, yeah, it has developed into a system really um, with different layers. So often, sometimes uh, the Polish people who work on farms in Germany sometimes have the um, better jobs or even so-called Vorarbeiter, um, while the people from Romania or remote areas in Romania would get the less productive fields, for example, to harvest there and then um, get a lower wage because they have the difficult area to harvest from. So these like economic and sometimes ethnic hierarchies end up playing out like very specifically in the actual the, the fields themselves yes. in Germany. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think particularly, right, like you said, it isn't, isn't just the, you know, the asparagus, the famous white spargel that's getting, that's getting picked by, um, under these sorts of labor conditions. But I think there is something that is a bit unique when, um, a food takes on a kind of like, it takes on a cultural significance in a country because I think it makes people even more willing to overlook some of the very brutal labor practices that go into providing that for them. Mm. And, the like centrality and like in some cases you know as a, an outsider perspective like weird obsession with this this vegetable <laughs> in the spring um and you know with the the festivals and you know all the the prizes and the spargelkönigin and like all all this kind of stuff mm. it's like it's so core to german identity and german culture that it seems like people are willing to overlook actually that you know the the reality of how this gets onto their plate because you know you have you it's not an unknown thing that the that the labor conditions in asparagus are like are quite poor. Like there are always articles about it, um, but then those are always you know outweighed like ten to one by different people like celebrating the best place to go get to eat asparagus. So it's like it's it's in the discourse, but it's but everyone's <laughs> yeah. like, well, we know it's kind of bad, but come on, I mean, what are you going to do? I gotta I gotta get my special meal. And so like, how does the how does this kind of cultural enthusiasm for asparagus like do you see that playing into the tolerance of these like low labor conditions at all uh, to a certain degree it does um, i think one specific fact about certain crops is that um, they are presented and discussed as okay it's produced by the farmers and the farmers in germany present themselves as the producers so often um, although they have a, they they produce for example asparagus and they have 1100 workers doing the work for them they would still say i'm the farmer i produce this so in a way they do not portray themselves as employers but rather as like family business guys mm. and i think this 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 plays a role into it so um, people buy this to a certain degree. They say, oh, our, our farmer next door has produced this asparagus. Um, so I think that's a factor. But I'm not sure if, if it's really only that. Um, actually, seasonal workers in Germany are working, are in Germany from, from March to up to October. Uh, they are working in very different 
uh, areas. Uh, they harvest grapes for the wine. Um, they do harvest cu cucumber. It's big. Um, of course, strawberries, different types of, of, of fruits from the trees like apples um, and so on. So um, it's, I think, the, for example, last year we also observed the, op the opposite, that people were quite sensitive about the asparagus. So they would a bit realize more the realities of, 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 of seasonal workers when it comes to asparagus, while, um, for example, that they are also producing the wine in Germany is not so so much um, of a topic. Yeah, okay. So I guess yeah, the, the centrality of it you know, can cut both ways, I guess you're saying, right? Exactly. Um, I mean, something for, for people that haven't lived in Germany or haven't like experienced this is it's important to kind of emphasize that like the, these like asparagus are very expensive. <laughs> like they're, it's like, it's really like treated as a, as a delicacy, right? It's like, it's something you get like a special meal around, you know, maybe around Easter, you know, the season extends a little after that. And so, you know, there, there's a very specific time where you can harvest these, right? Like it's a, mm. yeah, they need, they need to be like taken out of the, the ground at a certain time. And it's just a very seasonal thing and also like really considered a delicacy, which I think all, all plays into this whole, both the, the kind of exigencies of the demand for the labor at a very specific time. Right. And also the, the like broader cultural context of it. And to, to actually do this work, right. It's uh it's close Beschäftigung, like, uh, you know, short term, short term employment, basically. And this is like a, a very specific class of worker in Germany. I think, you know, Germany, especially from the outside is known um, sort of thought of as a place with like very high labor standards and like a bit more of a, like a, a remaining bastion of social democracy with like relatively strong unions and these, you know, long-term employment protections. You know, we've talked on the podcast before about how those have been eroded over time, especially in, in some sectors. And so there's a, to me, there's like a bit of an irony here. It's like to produce the sort of most German of dishes uh, in a country that's known for like having relatively stable labor protections The only way you can do that is by throwing away all of those labor protections for the actual people to produce the thing. And so could you talk a bit about this very specific class of employment and what it means and how it's kind of unique to the sector? Sure. Um, as you say, I think um, if you look closer to the labor market in Germany and the rules, you would find for each of those sectors where you have very cheap labor, uh, a specific or specific models of employment that allow to organize the labor quite cheaply. So, for example, you have a posting of workers in the construction industry and you have some sort, or you had until recently, some sort of outsourcing, for example, in the meat industry. And in agriculture, it is actually working in that way that um, the German farmers hire the, the seasonal workers themselves directly. So there's no out, type of outsourcing involved. Um, but uh, the specific thing is of this kurzfristige Beschäftigung is that there's an assumption. And the assumption says that if you are, uh, for example, a person from Romania who is um, not doing this as your major job, but if you are like a housewife from Romania and you come here for up to three months to Germany, so up to 70 working days you can work, um, then it is not your job op occupation. So it, it's not berufsmäßig. You don't do it berufsmäßig. And that means um, you don't need social security in Germany uh, because the assumption is you have it in your home country. And this makes uh, the labor quite uh, cheap for the employer 
And it's a big problem, of course, in times of Corona, uh, in, a, in a agriculture, in a sector where due to heat stress, for example, you have a big risk of, of getting health problems. Yeah, so that's basically the model. The, the scandal from our point of view is that people who work here for three months in the last two years, even longer, are not accepted as doing this as, as a job, in a way. This, again, also fits well to the way employers would portray it. They often don't talk of uh, Saisonarbeiter, they talk of Erntehelfer. Yeah, they say they support us, um, but they are not the workers. We are the workers as family agricultural people. Um, yeah, so that's, I think, the flaw assumption um, that's making the system work. Right, because you go to one of these, you know, uh, a Spargel uh, place, you know, you see, you might see like the, the sort of patriarch of the, the farming family, like you'll see a picture of him out, out in the fields, right? But his, his shoes aren't very dirty and he doesn't look, uh, look, doesn't look like he's been out in the heat too long. And yeah, it's a way of like, yes, there's always this yes. sort of like white, they'll like show the little white German family, like, you know, in the, in the fields as if they're, like you said, like as if they're the actual workers and the farmers. And then there's exactly. this like whole exactly. hidden other reserve this reserve group of labor that's like really hidden from view. Cause it, I think one, they want, want to obfuscate the actual employment and like power relations. And two, because it, it takes away from this sort of very kind of wholesome, uh, you know, agricultural, like pastoral picture that, that I think is a core part of the brand of some of these products. Yeah. Maybe even to add to this, um, one thing is the reality of seasonal workers, but I find even, I mean, I'm working very closely with the trade union in agriculture, which is called IG Bau. And they are, first of all, representing um, the regular German workers in agriculture, which are not the family members, but are simply employees. And this is also a huge number. This is more than 200,000 people doing this job. And this is a low-wage sector in Germany with also very problematic working conditions, very high incidences of, of injuries. Yeah? So... These, are, these group themselves, they are also a very big group and also quite actually invisible in the discourse. Um, when you talk about other sectors, you usually look, okay, how many people are working in this sector as employees? Um, what is their condition? So definitely, I mean, the toughest conditions have the seasoned workers from outside, but it's really a problem that all the workers in agriculture have, which are not part of the family business. Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, if you, if you just think, you know, if someone says, uh, I don't know, factory worker, in your in your head right you think of like i mean probably a bit outdatedly you think of like a white guy in like a factory like lifting a heavy thing or working a machine um but then you think about like oh who produces who's a farmer who produces like my produce you don't think about the actual person doing the the task of it you think about the owner and you wouldn't always think about like a factory owner like that's not where your mind goes and so it's like it's funny how we picture different parts of the production process depending on the industry and i, th I think you make a great point about that here and so you, you talk about, you know, this risk, obviously, of sickness and injury, and, and especially that being a risk uh, during during Corona. And I, I want to explore this a little more, because I think that is, um, at least for me, when it when it entered the kind of like public discourse a little bit more was the some of the, the contradictions around the seasonal work during the pandemic. And obviously, the, the pandemic is ongoing. But in terms of restrictions, uh, it's it's all but over at this point. And so, because in the previous two seasons, we were in the, in the midst of these uh, pretty strict border restrictions and quarantine rules and so on, and, and yet the, the labor continued to flow. And, you know, it was obviously important to pick the produce, you know, even at the same time, some families were separated um, in other contexts. And so 
Could you talk a little bit about the the COVID nineteen period of this type of labor and and yeah, what kind of what kind of contradictions or what this sort of revealed about the the status of this type of labor? Yes, it's um, it definitely changed a lot for us for our work as counseling organizations as a trade union as well. Um, before 2020, there was very little interest from politics side, from the media side in these working conditions. And in spring 2020, first wave of Corona, the German government would close the borders. And then immediately the Farmers Association would protest and say, wait a minute, it's spring now. We need our workers uh, from Eastern Europe coming in. And otherwise, we have a problem with the harvest in this country. What happened then, what the German government organized was a sort of Luftbrücke. Yeah? They organized from Romania um, flights um, to seven airports in Germany. And um, the workers would be transported to these airports. And there, basically from there on, from these airports in Germany, there would be two organizations in charge of the logistics. One is the German police and the other one is the... Uh, the German producers organization, the farmers organization, they would run the logistics of the workers. So does not sound like very free type of work. And um, in these first wave, in the peak of first wave, when, 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 you know, when I was still uh, cleaning my door because I'm fearing Corona at home and stuff, I would, I would stay home in these days and these weeks, um, the workers would be in huge groups of people pushed together um, at the airports in Kluge, in Romania, at the airports in Germany, in buses. So obviously you saw this double standard that was going on. Um, and this was the moment when, when, when also, first of all, media, the media um, got more interest uh, into the topic. And that was the starting point. And then if you look closer into what are actually the corona regulations, um, there as well, you saw a huge double standard for the German employers in all the other sectors where people had to isolate themselves uh, very clearly, while in agriculture for the seasonal workers, we had something, a unique German thing that was called Arbeitsquarantäne, which meant you are, when you enter the German country, you are in quarantine, but work at the same time. This means you stay in close groups together and work in this group. You stay up to eight people in one room and you sleep in this room and okay, usually up to four people, but then there are of course exemptions from the exemption and you could be eight people in one room. You could be up to 15 people at one place if the machine was involved. So you saw this double standard. The working quarantine type of thing, for example, was also used last year when in one of the, with one of the biggest producers, they had a, a huge spread out of Corona. Um, then basically not just the people who were infected by Corona had an infection, but also those who did, have, did not yet have it, they were basically forced to continue working in working quarantine. So the right to health for them to stay out of work, you know, was in fact undermined because they could, if they wanted not work, but they still would have to pay, for example, um, the rent for the room where they stay in. So, Tremendous problems um, and uh, violation of the rights, as many legal experts said. And for example, uh, one um, one provisional government, I think Schleswig-Holstein, uh, refused to you know to implement these rules um, because they simply didn't accept it. 
and this this ties in obviously too to the the issues of the lack of um i mean i think there there's like limited health insurance is that right and there's some problems with the the reporting of that but then yeah not having not having social security so it's like you're you're having laborers who are exposed to very dangerous conditions especially during the pandemic and at the same time not afforded some of the same resources and protections that a normal worker would have That's right. Um, as I said before, um, the model of kurzfristige Beschäftigung means um, that there's, for example, up until last year, there was no minimum standard for, for health insurance. And usually you have it for this period of three months. Um, and what happened the last two years was that the agricultural minister by that time from the Conservative Party even extended this time that you can have without health, health insurance, arguing that we reduce the mobility of the, mo of, of the, of the mobile workers uh, and that helps against Corona. While, of course, the opposite is the case. In times where Corona is spreading, you don't even make sure everyone has health insurance. I remember this. It was Julia, Julia Kluck now, right? And she was, yes, she was very she triumphant. She was like, we've insured, we've insured the stability of the work and like low prices for the Germans. And like, you know, I saw this news and I was like, wait, this is terrible. They're like not giving people the health insurance they need. And she was spinning it as like, this is this great triumph for the, the German citizen to like be able to get our, our produce on the cheap. And it was like, it was very disorienting to see that. Yeah, there's a long tradition of uh, the conservatives running the agricultural ministry, basically Yeah, following very closely the agenda of the of the Commercial Farmers Association of the biggest one. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's quite interesting because, you know, these these like large sort of, you know, global or like you know, these massive crises have a, have a way of tying into the the asparagus sector in Germany. And so I want to want to move on now to Ukraine, um, you know, away from the, the pandemic, which has occupied the news for a few years to the other the other big crisis of the day. And uh, it turns out it, too, has quite a lot to do with um, with our topic today, because um, there were, you know, a number of Ukrainians that would would um, participate in the short term work in Germany. And you've pointed out um, that actually, you know, this this has uh, a chance to increase quite a bit due to the refugees who could pick up seasonal jobs in this sector, um, already obviously in a horribly precarious situation, given what's happened to their country. Is there any update on, on how many people have come into Germany to do this work and anything that's being done to ensure that they're experiencing fair working conditions? Because... To me, this is such a huge risk of everybody's kind of got their, you know, all the, the German ministries have a Ukrainian flag flying above their their building at this point. Um, but it's a it's a bit unclear, you know, what what that might mean to the actual people coming here and say we stand with Ukraine. But um, it's it, it remains pretty unclear to me how much they're going to actually stand with Ukrainians uh, in terms of ensuring that they have fair working conditions here in Germany. Well, first of all, um, also in the last years, there was a, a certain number of people from students from Ukraine um, working as seasonal workers in German agriculture. Um, they did it as either um, like holiday jobbers at the status or as um, so-called interns. So they had a certification from their universities saying they need this internship and then they could work as interns in German agriculture. That was in eastern part, northeastern part of Germany, quite an important number. And it's um, currently for us unclear how the situation uh, will develop. The thing is that that on a, on a legal side, it's pretty clear that uh, 
all the refugees from or people who flee from Ukraine have a so-called Schutzstatus, which means that they can do here in Germany the regular work under regular conditions, which would mean that they can, for example, not be hired under this kurzfristig Beschäftigungsmodel, but they would need social security uh, in their work. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why for the moment we, I mean, the harvest season is only starting now. Um, so we will get more information doing more field visits in the next weeks and months. But for the moment, we don't see many cases of Ukrainians um, working in agriculture, but it's clear. We know this from, from discussions that um, I think employers are seeking ways to, to, to find a way to also have people from Ukraine working in agriculture under cheaper conditions for them. So this is pretty unclear at the moment how the situation will evolve. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, something we'll, we'll try to we'll try to keep people updated on because, yeah, it's a, a, like you said, a, a big question um, with the these inflows of people happening right at the same time as the actual harvests are starting in, in a large scale. And so moving on like more generally, I guess, to, to the outlook of the the status of seasonal laborers, you know, you, you mentioned the, the CDU, obviously, um, running the agricultural ministry for, for quite a while and then being being very aligned with the interests of the large agricultural interests, which I don't think it would be a huge surprise to, to anybody um, based on how the, you know, the, the sort of party landscape in Ger Germany generally works. But now, you know, we have uh, the, the Ampel Coalition, um, you know, notably like the SPD and Greens in there who we think would be a little more um, more on the pro-labor side of things, right? I mean, the FDP being being a bit more pro-business, but, um, you know, the SPD and Greens being the larger parties. What's the outlook of that? Is there um, going to be tougher tougher demands on employers to provide fair conditions? Is it going to be strengthening some of the Social Security protections, What is the current coalition actually doing, or you know, maybe the case is not doing, um, to to improve the rights of seasonal workers in Germany? Well, in a in a sector that where workers usually depend on the on the legal minimum wages, um, of course, an increase of these those minimum wages from nine something euro last year up to twelve euro in in October despite, of course, inflation that we have, is quite a big step. And just, just to um, fill people in, if they're not familiar, the 12 euro minimum wage was a, like a key um, uh, key part of the, the platform of Chancellor Schultz and the SPD. So like that's that's sort of a core priority exactly, of the government. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And of course, um, that depends on the branch then, um, what, what this implies. For example, in construction industry, um, there was a, up until last year, there was a branch specific, but generalized minimum wage for everyone of more than 12 euro last year already. And now um, the employers are saying, well, we have the minimum wage next year with 12 euro. We don't need the seasonal, uh, we don't need the branch minimum wage anymore, for example. So there are sectors where actually workers might lose, but in seasonal agriculture, where the workers are the, where the, where the, where the wages are the, the lowest that we have, this 12 euro per hour um, gross wage is quite important for, for people and it's quite a significant improvement when it, as soon as it is implemented. But um, the big problem we see already now, already in the last years, is um, that we have a huge gap, a huge lack of inspection in the agricultural sector, as in many other sectors also. Um, so we see many ways in which in fact, um, employers would 
make partly legal, partly illegal, sometimes illegal deductions from the minimum wage. So the key question is, of course, how is this implemented? Um, what are um, employers, in fact, allowed to deduct when it comes to accommodation? Yeah, like workers that come in big groups are dependent on staying very close uh, to the farm because they get up every morning at five. They need to stay there. Um, how much are they? How much from the wage is deducted, for example, for their accommodation? That's those are key things which are not enough. They are to a certain degree, but in fact, not enough regulated in Germany. So implementation is is the key question. And your general question is definitely that we see with the Greens being in charge of the of the agricultural ministry and with the Social Democrats being in charge of the labor ministry, we see that at the moment uh, we definitely do not have the farmers, farmers lobby so clearly in the ministry like last year. But for example, the ministries for the moment said very clearly there will be no exemptions from the legal minimum wage for agriculture, for example. That's interesting. I mean, I guess uh, so, so. Basically, some some progress there, but but maybe not not what you'd hope for overall, and, and obviously a lot of like caveats to to stay aware of. And I'd just be curious to close out here. Um, in in the type of work you do, I mean, what what is I guess sort of a an, an ideal or like a more at least more ideal um, type type setup for short term agricultural labor, like. What what would the unions or some of these organizations, um, what kind of standards would they fully look for? Because it's like there is, you know, I, I, I could see the argument that there is there is a logic, right, that there are there are certain tasks that only need to be done at certain parts of the year. You know, so maybe maybe the, the farmers groups would say something like this. They're like, well, people need their produce. Um, they want it at a reasonable price. And these these jobs can only be done at certain parts of the year so you know this is this is just a it's a it's a good solution that's in everybody's interest you know i'm just sort of trying to trying to speak like an argument you might hear here and so like what would how would you like respond to that and what kind of alternative system would you try to build in order to ensure it so yeah maybe people can can get their asparagus but at the same time there's not these really challenging working conditions for people that are actually making that possible I think first, first, uh, my first answer would be: I think that the the unions in agriculture, not just the German, but all over the EU, they are also organized in a federation, a European federation of agricultural unions, are very clear that they say that we have a standard and an ideal, which is that not people should get for the for the for the same type of work at the same place, people good should get the same and work for the same standards. So like being very concrete on like, we don't accept any type of discrimination. And I think this should really be, and sometimes on paper, it is also, I think, a vision for like, you know, what, what kind of European Union do we want to have? What kind of Europe do we want to have? No way, of, we don't accept discrimination, also not at the labor market. So I think this is, it sounds like something simple, but it's actually, if you look at the reality today, it's type of a vision. I think it's also a, a key, must be a key part of a vision of what kind of Europe do we want? For the same type of work at the same place, you need to have the same wages and the same standards. So that's, that's the first thing, like that would be the minimum. Doesn't sound too um, utopian. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds it pretty should standard. not be. Yeah. <laughs> it should not be. But if you look at the reality of the political economy of the EU, how it works, then this is exact, exactly what is undermined all the time. So this, income gap between the people in the East and in the West 
or in the south and in the north is 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 used to 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 make the EU economy function. So it's you're right; it should not be utopian, um, but it should be the starting point. So that's that's my first answer. You know, we cannot have all these type of exemptions. Um, in specific sectors in the economy just to to create gaps so um, you have the cheap migrant labor that's the first thing and uh, the 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 second thing is if we talk about agricultural policies you know what type of agricultural system what do what do we want what kind of food systems do do we actually want also as consumers um i would say clearly um of course agriculture has always been a seasonal thing but the more that the agricultural sector specializes in certain crops, the more you have monocultures, the more uh, uh, a production system is focused on just one or two crops, and the more you only are able to create short-term jobs. While if you have a more differentiated, diverse food system and production system, and the farmer maybe also gets um, incentives to produce more a more diverse system, um, then you could, it would be easier to create more stable jobs with, that would do in one month do this work at another time do that work, which I find very, very important. Definitely and when I'm talking about this is that I find that often there are people um, very engaged on food systems in civil societies. They still uh, speak as if agriculture was just family farming. And I think this is just not the reality like visions for an alternative food system for agroecology, you know, for, for food webs linking cities to rural areas. Um, they need to give answers, be very clear about what is fair labor, who is doing the actual work uh, in agriculture, and it's not just the farmers. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it in a lot of ways, it really comes back to, to that point you made earlier about like kind of mystifying the actual economic and labor relations in this type of work, right? It's like, and it, it sounds so, it sounds very sympathetic in political discourse when people say like, oh, well, we need to protect our farmers. Like these are our, these are our good German family farmers. And, you know, I've heard it in, in the UK or the US as well. Like it's, and it has a lot of resonance because it seems like, oh, these aren't, you know, big, uh, fancy bankers or something in the big city of someone, you know, we might, we might want to tax more and regulate more. Like these are honest, hardworking people. And it, as you point out, it's like, well, who, who's actually doing the hard work is, it's kind of feels like a, a really core hurdle in actually getting people to want to change these industries and realize like in many cases, these are just big business owners like anybody else. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to make it too easy for myself. Um, there are these family farmers in Germany. Yeah. They do an important job and often are underpaid and have a very, very tough market conditions and all of this. And definitely there's a huge need to support them. And I would be the last one who says uh, we should not have, you know, for example, these agrarian subsidies um, if they produce Good food for for everyone. That's that's okay. But um, as you say, um, there's a, a big ignorance about the real, I think, labor conditions that we have in agriculture. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's great that you guys are are doing the work that you're doing uh, to try to to try to improve that. And uh, a very a very important thing to to think about this this Spargel season um, and and throughout this uh, the various crops that people need. Um, so yeah, Ben, thanks so much for coming on. I, I really appreciate that. I think it's, uh, this is, like I said, really fascinating work and, and really crucial that you're, that you guys are doing it. And is there any place where people, um, can either follow some of your writing and your work or, um, the work that the organizations are doing more generally? Cause we're happy to link to that. 
or anything that people should be aware of um, in the future any any way to actually even just get involved in, in some of the in some of the activism around these uh, these struggles sure we have um, many of our members organizations like fair mobility are quite active in social media on Facebook even, we get in touch directly with workers in various languages. On Twitter, um, we are informing about our field actions all over Germany. The trade union IG Bau is doing the same. Every year, we um, publish a seasonal report, and that's maybe a good source of like what we're doing, also um, telling stories about uh, what the workers have. Um, I don't know if you can maybe share. I can share a link, and you can yeah, link we'll put it a link. We can put a link in the show description. And people can well. check it out. Yeah, yeah. So that's maybe the source of information that I can recommend. Okay, that's great. Yeah, we'll uh, like I said, we'll include some of those social media links and definitely that um, that report as well. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think that'll do it for now. Um, but yeah, like I said, thanks so much for coming on, and thanks so much for for all the great work that you're doing in this uh, very critical sector. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much to Benjamin Lewick for that informative interview. Uh, yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting, a really good balance to our just completely... Um, free associating. Free associating about <laughs> Spargle. Personally, I think I have very well-formed theories about uh, Spargle, but I maybe you were free I think you're on a Spargle high. I'm on a Spargle high. high. Oh, well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm definitely on a schnitzel high. Yeah, I'm, I'm on a struggle low. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening. And and if you're around, if you're in Central Europe or Nepal, uh, make sure <laughs> make they sure put it in like curry. I would, I, that, that would be, be good. That would yeah. be good. It's struggle like. <laughs> Get some spargle. Come get on. Out get, there. get out there. Get have out some there. Have don't some spargle. Don't let these Spend people... Spend all your money. Don't let these people... Get, what else are you going to eat in Germany? I mean, come on. It's a low bar. Eat your spargle. Learn what we think about spargle in like one second. <laughs> See you guys next time. Cheers. We're going to talk about a food Michelle likes next time. Which is only strawberries, I think. I don't know. Plums. The tip's the best part, so you might want to save it for last. Why is the tip the best? It's it, it's it has the most flavor and the best texture. Where's the butter? Is this, is this butter? You gotta butter up that tip. Or is this margarine? I definitely don't want margarine. No, no, no. It said the margarine says margarine. The butter says butter. Okay, so we're. And this is just like. You just you just douse it. You just totally douse it. So oh, we each get this much butter. Yeah, we get. I thought this was like no, no, no. They, they do an insane amount of butter oh. on these things. I mean, I just don't think it tastes that different from the green sparkle. Everyone talk, talks about how it tastes very different, but it tastes pretty different to me. Really? These are a little, I would say, undercooked. Even maybe undercooked. Yeah, normally they kind of fall apart in your mouth, but they're still pretty good. It just doesn't taste good. <laughs> Like I do like it, but I, I like asparagus. It's not as good. It's not as good as it costs, but it's worth knowing what Green it's about. Green asparagus is one thousand times better than this. I I do agree with that. You want to know how much all this food costs? A salad and three portions of asparagus with potatoes and a couple schnitzels. A ridiculous amount. I know. Well, they they they, they just for this like portion of sparkle they charge for, like eighteen euros. Yeah, yeah. That's outrageous. Altogether, ninety euros. That's fine. Schnitzel, phenomenal. I'm not I'm very excited for schnitzel. It does need cut off and also underwhelming.
Yeah, I, might, I don't think I've ever had a proper Wiener schnitzel. I've only had that schnitzel twice in my life. If it's not a Wiener schnitzel, it's not a schnitzel. Just don't bother with a pork. Pizza. I just like can't believe that, that this is it. That that's what that tastes like. <laughs> that's what this is all about. Yep. Like like I actually refuse to believe that. The amount of like, like, I feel like the I'm, amount of like human rights abuses that are created so we can eat these. It's relatively mediocre, but still fairly good vegetable is astounding. I would eat any other vegetable for you know the other day I was talking about how I don't really like carrots that much and I think that they're just a filler because they're cheap and a lot of like curries mm-hmm. and stuff. And how I just am bothered by that because I don't like how they Did taste. you do uh, your lemon on your schnitzel, though? Yeah. Okay, good. I would, I would eat... This should have cranberry sauce, which is a bit embarrassing, but it's okay. Sorry. I carrots. one million carrots over this. Like, my least favorite vegetable is better wonder, than this vegetable. I do wonder if you're just being a little bit contrary. No, no, no. I, I'm seriously not. I'm, I'm actually having... I swear to God, I'm having like a moment of like severe... Cognitive dissonance that, like, that's what this is about. And that's what they go psycho over. I mean, am I, I missing, like, a taste bud? What? No, I think you have too many taste buds. That's the problem. <laughs> that's why Germans think it's so okay. good. It's because they don't have enough. I, I like, actually feel. <laughs> no, like, like, I, would, like I think I would definitely, my... like, prefer, like, a side of roasted beets and roasted carrots. Yeah. Vegetables don't have to be this way. Like, I just don't understand that this is their favorite vegetable. They're extraordinarily expensive for a vegetable, too, yeah. It's it's because they only understand meat, right? And so they're, like, making it into, like, It's the center. It's like a savory delicacy that you would eat as if it was a piece of meat, almost. Yeah, Right. That's that's the way they're, like, plating it. It just sucks. (laughs) Okay, I mean, I like it. It's it's extremely overhyped. It costs about ten times what it should. Because I can't believe you say that these are undercooked, because I just can't believe how, like, limp they are. Well, maybe they're underpeeled. I mean, because like, you have to peel each one. What? Yeah, because they're really woody on the outside, and so you have to, like, shave the You should out- just eat the normal green asparagus. Yeah, I know. They're really high maintenance. Where I come from, you can, like, just, the asparagus grows on the side of the road. Yeah, but their first effort to asparagus. Their first effort. <laughs> you can just go and pick some asparagus. Don't tell the Germans about that, Isaac. I I just think like their first stuff. effort to enslave Eastern Europeans like didn't end that well for them, and so they had to find like legal means to do it, and so like Spargo gave a good opportunity to enslave the Eastern Europeans in uh, agricultural. It's just work. kind of like like especially sick and twisted that this is what it's for, you know. Well, something tragically they don't have this year. It's the Spargel Burger at McDonald's. They had that last year. Was that that like affordable? Uh, um, It wasn't that much more than like your typical deluxe burger. I think a combo was probably about $8.99 with the Nuts Kartoffeln, which are pretty good. Um, It had... What did they have? It was like like, like a... Yeah, it was like little little Spargel tips, white Spargel, and... Hollandaise sauce on like top of a Big Mac, basically. The problem was that they used a Big Mac patty instead of the, the, like the deluxe burger patties. So it could have been a lot better if they used it. Okay, so McDonald's <laughs> I just think it's like the perfect, you know, like it's the perfect like dialectical synthesis of like American and German culture. Like it's just it's everything that we've been aspiring to be. Like they invaded our country, we assimilated them. We then invade their country and occupy them and turn them into a colony. 
and like it's just like it's like the it's the ultimate manifestation of history. Mm-hmm. When you put it that way, 